Uh, good evening. It's our lunar observance night tonight, and uh, it's quite a special feeling in the monastery uh, throughout the day today and uh, into this evening. We have a lot of uh, a lot of the community members are away traveling, and a lot of the senior monks are are away this evening, and just a very small group of uh, lay people here in the monastery. Uh, so it's yeah, a very quiet, uh, very quiet atmosphere here, and uh, really just enjoying the, the changing of the, the seasons and the increased solitude and, and peacefulness that uh, that happens when uh, the activity decreases. And since we have uh, yeah, most of the senior monks are, are away this evening, then uh, this is usually the opportunity for those of us who uh, don't really speak very much or don't really give teachings very often. Sometimes we have the opportunity on a, on a night like this to, to give some short teachings, and uh, tonight I'll just give a few brief reflections. And there's a an old teaching story that uh, takes place in ancient Japan, and the story is that um, there are these two Zen monks who cross paths in the forest and not having ever met each other before, the one uh, the one monk wants to test the other one and he asks him, what is the essence of the Buddha's teaching? And the other one replies, refrain from evil, do what is good, purify the mind. And then the other monk says, even a five-year-old child knows that. And then the other one says, yes, but even an 80-year-old can't do it. And this just is quite a beautiful description of the, the teachings of the Buddha. You know, the path of the Buddha is so, it's so simple that anyone can understand it. You know, it's so simple that it can be explained to a child. But it's so difficult that almost no one in the world can actually do it. You know, it's so difficult that it takes those of us who want to want to follow this path. It takes us a lifetime of practice uh, in order to uh, really accomplish the things that can be uh, accomplished on this path. And when we look at the the different factors of the path that the Buddha gave us for, for finding real internal happiness. You know, we have the, the Eightfold Path or the Threefold Training, the Sila, Samadhi, and Panya, morality, meditation, and wisdom. And there's, there's almost no limit to what can be said about these these three different trainings and, you know, almost countless books have been written about these three different trainings and people have all kinds of debates about, about these things and a lot of doubts about these things. But the truth is that they're all incredibly simple things. You know, they're all so simple that they can be explained to a child. And looking at sila, the Buddha's teaching on morality, ethical conduct. You know, we can we can say that uh, 
you know, although we can discuss all of the, the different precepts and uh, you've just taken the eight precepts and for the, the monks have many hundreds or even thousands of minor precepts, you know, so many, so many rules that we follow that the Buddha gave us as, um, you know, strong suggestions of ways that uh, people should conduct themselves and people should live their lives. The Buddha is strongly encouraging us to, to follow a particular set of precepts and, and rules. And although we can, you know, we can say many things about, about these precepts, you know, it can all be, it can all be summarized in this teaching that we give to children. You know, we probably all hear uh, when we're, when we're young children, what is called the, the golden rule is treat other people in the way that you would like to be treated. This is something that we teach even children here in a non-Buddhist culture. It's something that, you know, we might think is kind of common sense. And, you know, all of the, the Buddhist teachings on sila, morality, ethical conduct, you know, it all comes down to this, and it all comes down to how do we treat other people in terms of our body and in terms of our speech? You know, do we act or speak in a way that is harming other people? Do we, do we act or speak in a way that we would actually like to be on the receiving end of that? This golden rule is something that's incredibly simple. You know, it can be explained to a child but you know who in the world can really follow it? Who can really completely follow it? You know, even for us in a monastery, people who are really you know very good-hearted people who are consciously trying to follow sila and develop this um, this way of interacting in a skillful way with other people. Even for us, you know, are we? Are we really able to treat other people in the way that we would like to be treated all of the time? You know, so often we, we're overwhelmed by our emotions. And um, although, you know, treating others in the way that we would like to be treated is something that sounds incredibly simple, somehow when we actually try to do it, it isn't so, it isn't so easy. It's not so simple to do you know, because our emotions are always influencing us in various ways and negative emotions that we experience we find it incredibly difficult to uh, to overcome them and to to prevent ourselves from doing or saying things which we know are unskillful you know, we having a bad day and um, we, we say something that's just slightly cutting to somebody else is just kind of slightly insensitive. We, you know, we're overcome with greed and so we, we kind of take advantage of somebody else or we, we, um, we act in a deceitful way in order to, to get more of something for ourselves. You know, these are all incredibly common things in, in the world and even, 
you know, in a monastery we find that these habits, you know, they run very deep. And even though we all have this intention to to behave in a, in a skillful way, um, it's definitely not something that's easy to do. And, you know, in terms of the the Buddha's teaching on sila, we're, we're looking at our actions of body and our actions of speech. And, you know, it starts with the very uh, coarse actions. You know, we, we just begin by restraining our body. You know, we don't uh, kill other people. We don't steal their things. Of course, in the teachings of the Buddha, then, um, you know, taking this golden rule, it's also extended to all beings, you know, so it's not only uh, to human beings, but it's also to animals, you know, insects, uh, you know, be other beings that, you know, inhabit the same, uh, the same world with us, you know, so we also don't kill other animals, you know, we don't kill living beings, we treat animals you know, in the way that we would like to be treated. You know, so we begin with this uh, kind of the, the coarse actions that are unskillful and harmful towards others. And usually coming to stay in a monastery, then we probably find it, you know, quite easy and straightforward to refrain from some of the very coarse actions. You know, we, we find it easy not to kill people and not to steal their belongings uh, and things like this, but you know, then our practice of sila it, it becomes more refined and it becomes more about our speech. You know, do we do we always tell the truth? Do we sometimes exaggerate or do we sometimes tell a little white lie in order to protect our reputation? Um, you know, do we speak? Maybe we don't speak very harshly to other people. Maybe we don't yell at them and abuse them, verbally abuse them, but, you know, what, uh, what kind of emotion is leading to our speech when we speak to other people? Is it coming from a place of irritation and anger? Is it, you know, is there that intention to kind of slightly hurt them a little bit? You know, this, this practice of sila becomes something that we, we continue to refine to the point of, you know, this golden rule becomes like, you know, everything that we do in every moment with our body or our speech, how is it affecting other people around us? You know, not even on the level of precepts, trying to just follow, you know, one, two, three, four, five, but it's, you know, developing the sensitivity to be aware of every moment and the people that we're interacting with, you know, down to the level of how, how should I say this? You know, I want to say something to somebody. How should I phrase it? You know, if I just use a few different words, maybe that will actually make them feel better. You know, so it becomes incredibly refined like this. And, you know, maybe also one of the, the big differences about the you know Buddhist ethics and morality, when compared with with other religions or other philosophies, you know the the precepts that we have and the the Buddha's teachings on sila, you know they're not something that is um, 
the Buddha kind of commands us to do, and that, you know, we just, we follow them because the Buddha told us so. You know, that there's a very real practical reason for following sila. And of course, whether we follow sila or not is our choice. You know, the Buddha isn't saying that we have to follow the precepts. Um, you know, the Buddha is just pointing out that there's a very real connection between our, our actions and our mind. You know, there's a very real connection between how we act, how we speak, and how we feel. You know, so if we're, if we're always harming other people, harming other beings, that just makes us unhappy. You know, it, it ruins our peace. Um, you know, maybe people in the world don't really notice that sometimes. If your mind state is always dark and in a state of pain, then it might just be normal. But, you know, the more we, we, we walk this path and we, we learn how to make the mind peaceful, the more obvious it becomes that all of the ways that we interact with others, you know, all of our intentional actions, they have a very real effect on our mind. You know, so this is ultimately the reason why we we follow precepts and we 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 study this sila, this morality. You know, it's not just about other people. Ultimately, it's about ourselves. You know, and everyone in the world, even people who are, uh, you know, don't follow precepts and aren't religious. You know, everyone in the world cares about themselves. You know, so that's like if we if we care about our own happiness then it's, it's very important to pay attention to how we're treating other people. So this is, you know, the, 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 Buddhist, the Buddhist teaching on sila, how we, how we interact with the world. And it's something that is, it can be explained, you know, in a very simple way, uh, even to a child. But the actual practice of this is, uh, something which, you know, all, all of the beings in the world are, are bound to run into great difficulties with because it really pushes back against our habitual tendencies and defilements of the mind. The defilements are always trying to push us in the opposite direction. So then also looking at the, the practice of samadhi, the development of samadhi, you know, samadhi is, is something that... Um, I say to meditation in general is something that, you know, countless books have been written about and uh, there are countless debates about. But, you know, ultimately meditation and samadhi is something that's incredibly simple. You know, it can be explained to a child. And it's like Lumpur Cha, Lumpur Cha, when he, you know, sometimes when he would talk about meditation, he would say something like, you, you breathe in, and then you breathe out, and then your mind becomes peaceful and, and you enter samadhi. And it's like, uh, you know, it's just that, it's just that simple. <laughs> um, but somehow it's, it's, not, it's not easy to do. You know, it's, it sounds like um, when, we hear, when we hear a teacher speak about it like that, it, it, it seems like, oh, it, you know, it should be so simple and easy and straightforward, and then we want to try it, 
and we try to just pay attention to the breath, and maybe almost immediately our mind is carried away into thoughts of the past or the future, overwhelmed by different emotions, or maybe we're able to be with the breath, but somehow the mind still doesn't uh, still doesn't become peaceful. So although, you know, we can say that the practice of samadhi is is learning how to still the mind, you know, unify the mind, collect the mind, you know, bringing the mind to a place of real balance and stillness. And primarily we're using an object like the breath, uh, being aware of the uh, the present moment, the in and out breathing, learning how to let go of our our attachments to our emotions and our attachments to our our thinking, learning how to continue to come back to the breath in a way which is balancing the mind. So you know, being being present with the body and the breath is something that's on one level it's very simple, but it's. Uh, it's something that most of us will have to spend our whole lives practicing in order to really become skilled with it. And this is, you know, very much because the the defilements and negative emotions and negative um, habits of our mind, you know, they're they're incredibly strong habits that we've cultivated our whole lives and that we've we've reinforced our whole lives. Because of their incredible power, and this is why it's so difficult, it seems so difficult to do something that's so simple. And, you know, very much the the practice of meditation is like learning how to change our habits, you know, to change our habits from, you know, a habit of mindlessness, a habit of allowing the attention to always be carried away with our thoughts and always to be overwhelmed by our emotions, learning how to change that habit so that we're just present with the breathing, we're present with the body in a way that's balanced and, and peaceful. But it's like, it's like trying to change any other habit. You know, whenever we try to change a, a very strong habit, it's incredibly difficult, especially in the beginning. One example I like a lot is... Um, it's like the example of blinking. You know, we, we spend our whole day blinking, you know, just probably thousands and thousands of times during the day, but most of us probably can go through the entire day and not even, maybe even realize that we blinked at all the entire day. It's just so automatic. You know, it's just such a, a, a deep habit that we, you know, we're just constantly blinking. But if we were to try to change that and just decide that, you know, we were only going to blink a few times a minute or something, you know, suddenly there's there's in incredible difficulty with that. You know, all of our other habits are just like this. You know, in in the beginning, when we try to change them, uh, there's incredible difficulty. And, you know, just like blinking, following our defilements is something which is just automatic, you know, all of the people in the world. Um, it's just kind of like on autopilot. You know, we, we follow our, uh, particularly for people who don't practice uh, meditation, they tend to just follow their defilements 
all day and we don't even realize it. You know, we're always, we're always caught in some kind of thought. We're always being shaken, overwhelmed by different emotions and following those emotions. We spend our whole lives doing this and we don't even realize it. So then coming to this practice, then uh, we run into incredible difficulty trying to change these, these habits. And also, you know, a lot of times we talk about, you know, in meditation, development of samadhi, just learning how to let go, you know, just let go. Oftentimes we, we hear this teaching, just let go. You know, it's something that's incredibly simple. You know, it sounds like, sounds like it should be really easy to do, you know, just, just let go. But, um, yeah, it's very much like, um, I've thought that, you know, it's not so much like one is is carrying an object. You know, if you have an object in your hand and you just want to let go of it, it's really easy. You know, you just you just kind of open your hand and then and, and it falls out of your hand. It's very easy to let go. But you know, our attachments to our emotions are much more like it's much more like an object that's tied to our hand. You know, and we with a very complicated knot, or maybe just one knot, but it's just incredibly tight. And it's like we, we want to let go, but we can't. You know, it's like it's stuck to our hand. And so the practice, instead of, you know, trying to force ourselves to let go, you know, the practice is like learning how to untie the knot, you know, looking at, you know, this attachment that I have, you know, how do I... How do I undo that? You know, so it's like our attachment to our emotions. These are the things that are preventing the mind from becoming peaceful and in meditation. You know, it's our habitual reactions to our, our emotions. You know, so how do we, you know, it's not really possible through willpower just to, just to decide that we're not going to follow our thoughts and we're not going to be overwhelmed by our emotions. We can't really decide that in the same way that we, you know, an object that's tied to our hand, we can't just decide to let it go. But we have to instead learn how to untie, untie what is, what is connecting it to our, to our hand, to our mind. You know, what is it that's connecting our emotions and our thoughts to our, our mind? And it's this habitual tendency of being lost in in these things. You know, so the development of mindfulness is um, counteracting that, that very deep habit that we have. So this is you know, just a brief summary of you know, what we're practicing meditation, developing samadhi. You know, it's something that is incredibly simple. You know, we can teach a child just to pay attention to their breath you know, even a child can understand that. But, you know, very, people, very few people in the world can actually do that and experience great states of happiness in their, in their mind. So then also looking at the, the Buddha's teachings on panya or developing wisdom, developing insight into, into our experience. You know, when we talk about wisdom developing vipassana, insight, you know, it's something that also 
you know, countless books have been written about and people take classes on Buddhist philosophy. <clears throat> people get, you know, doctorate degrees in Buddhist philosophy, you know, spend their whole life studying very intricate, you know, complicated ideas and, and philosophies, but like with all of the teachings of the Buddha, you know, the, the practice of developing wisdom is something that's incredibly simple. You know, it can be explained to a child as well. You know, when the Buddha is encouraging us to investigate, he's not, he's not talking about things that are far away. You know, he's not talking about some other dimension, some other universe, uh, some very ab abstract philosophy. He's talking about, you know, what's literally right in front of us. You know, this body and this world and this mind, you know, these things that we've experienced for a very long time, you know, these are, in a way, they're the most basic and ordinary things. You know, we, we experience them every day. We think that we really know what they're all about. You know, when we look at this room, we don't really think there's anything to see here that we don't understand, you know. The body, yeah, I understand the body, you know, we feel we, we understand everything there is to know about the body, and, you know, we feel we understand the mind. You know, we have modern psychology teaches about the mind, and, you know, we understand the world, um, you know, what the world is made of, and, um, you know, science has many, um, you know, deep understandings of the world. You know, so when we look at this place, we don't really think that there's there's much to, much more for us to know, and so we tend to look elsewhere. You know, we, we uh, investigate maybe more complicated, abstract things. But you know, the teachings of the Buddha, you know, they're they're pointing to our direct experience here and now, this body and this mind, and the Buddha is encouraging us to really to question our assumptions about our experience, you know, to question all of the things that we take to be real, you know, the sense of this is me and that's you, these are these other people who aren't me, you know, I know where I am in the world right now and I know where I've come from, I know what my past is like, um, you know, maybe I, I have ideas of what the future will be like and, you know, I feel like I have a good understanding of the world. You know, the Buddha is is encouraging us to question all of these things and to investigate these things. And particularly, you know, maybe the most important thing to investigate is the sense of who we are, you know, who uh, who it is that we think that we are. And um, a story that I was remembering recently uh, is quite a uh, is quite a wonderful story that I heard a monk here tell many years ago as a great um, great example of the you know, the kind of disconnect between um, the ordinary people's understanding and what we think we understand about about the world you know this monk said that he uh, he was traveling with his brother, and they were sitting in the back seat of this car, and someone else was driving. And 
they're having a conversation about Buddhism and his, you know, his brother maybe really wasn't very interested in Buddhism, didn't really know much about it. And, and his brother asked him, you know, what, what is it that the, the Buddha teaches? And this monk said, uh, well, you know, the, the Buddha teaches that everything is impermanent. And his brother kind of looked at him and said, yeah, ev everyone knows that. You know, like, is that all he taught? You know, he just he taught everything is impermanent. I mean, it's, you know, it's obvious. Every, everyone knows that, that everything in the world is impermanent. And, you know, then the discussion went on. They started talking about, you know, death and, and teachings about dying. And then his brother said, uh, well, I'm not, I'm not afraid of death. And, uh, like, right... Right as he said that, the uh, the driver almost got into an accident and had to swerve out of the way of another car, and his brother just screamed. And uh, <laughs> uh, it's a great, you know, it's a great example of, uh, you know, we might think that we're not afraid of death, but you know, that's maybe that's when we feel, you know, we're we're in a kind of a comfortable, secure position, a location, we're feeling quite good about things, then we might not think we're afraid of death. You know, we, we think that we understand impermanence, but, you know, when we lose something, do we suffer because of it? You know, I mean, do we, um, do we still grasp and cling at things as mine and, and try to, you know, possess things and, and uh, you know, surround ourselves with the perfect conditions? You know, do we really understand impermanence? You know, I mean, the teachers always tell us that, you know, really to see these these teachings deeply, you know, it results in the mind immediately letting go. And it's not that the one doesn't interact with the world anymore, but it's one doesn't suffer anymore because of things. So if, if one really saw impermanence, there wouldn't really be any more problems with our with our life in the sense of, you know, we would still go about our, our day, but when we lost things that we, we loved and uh, we didn't get what we want, it wouldn't be a problem, you know, we wouldn't suffer because of it. Uh, you know, if we really understood the reality of death and we really understood the impermanence of the body, you know, in a very deep way, then, you know, we also wouldn't be, we wouldn't be shaken by a, a kind of a near-death experience. And so these, these teachings on developing insight, developing wisdom, you know, there's something that is incredibly simple. You know, I mean, the body, the mind, you know, these seem like very simple things, very simple questions. Are these things permanent? Are these things really me or mine? You know, who are we really anyways? And is there really, or is this world really satisfactory? You know, is there real happiness to be found here? Is there real lasting happiness that I can possess for myself? You know, is it really worth living in the worldly way? In the end, is it, is it something that I'll, I'll be able to experience more happiness than suffering? You know, these are all very simple questions. And, you know, we, we can explain these things to anyone. And, you know, most people in the world feel that they have a, a good understanding of, 
of most of these questions, but you know, do we do we really have do we really have a very deep understanding of them or not? Uh, seeing that, uh, seeing the truth of these things, you know, as something that's definitely is definitely not easy to do. You know, describing them, uh, describing them to other people, you know, they're so simple that uh, you know it's easy to describe. It sounds very simple, but. You know, the people in the world who have truly seen these things on a deep level are probably uh, very, very few. You know, very, very rare to find people like that. So these are just a few reflections on the the teachings of the Buddha, the path that uh, the Buddha has given all of us to to follow if we're interested in in finding real happiness within ourselves and. You know, all of these these teachings are something that we can always just bring down to a very a very fundamental, simple level. You know, they're they're not things that are complicated. They're not things that are far away. All of the the teachings of the Buddha, the the path, the practice of the Buddha, it's something that's incredibly practical. You know, it's something that's incredibly relevant. You know, for all of us, and it's it's definitely something that that all of us can can do, you know, all of us can accomplish. It's something that we can all uh, definitely grow in in internal happiness and peace, and something that we can we can use to decrease our our suffering uh, over time. Even though it it may seem incredibly difficult, it may seem impossible, but you know, it's something that. The Buddha assures us that definitely can be done. So these are just a few thoughts for this evening, and I'll offer this for reflection.